Let us praise Jesus together with another hand of praise this morning. Everybody have a definition of who Jesus is to them. And the songwriter is explaining who he is to him. And I pray that those words really touched our hearts this morning. Today we would like to spend some time talking about the abundant life in Christ. If it was only one thing that I knew about the Christian life, that one thing would be this. Every true born-again Christian wants to live an abundant life in Jesus Christ. i say that one more time. Every true born-again Christian wants to live an abundant life in Jesus Christ. For that is the first spiritual inborn passion that comes with being born again. That's the first spiritual inborn passion that is put inside of the believer when he or she experiences this new life. We see this during the birth of a newborn baby. The first cry is the cry of discomfort. Uh, he or she is either too cold because the room usually is cold where the operation takes place or uh, the baby is hungry and wants to eat or maybe the baby thinks it's too noisy coming out of the womb from that place that is so quiet and so the baby cries at the moment of birth that's the moment when the cry for a better life begins from that time on the strive for life on this earth starts and the baby begins to thrive to survive to live the passion to live is in every baby it's an inborn tendency and so it is it ought to be for every Christian who is born again and come into the new life in Christ one of the things that we look for is that uh, one of the, the the fruit of that new life or the evidence that the person is born again is the fact that he or she has a passion for the things of the Lord. There has to be a desire in you to want to grow. There has to be a desire in you to want to eat. And the food of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's the food of the Spirit. And that's why we have many malnourished Christians or some who are not even born again because there is no desire to grow in the Lord. The same applies to the spiritual life. When we are born into this new life, from the moment of birth, the fight for survival begins. It begins some fight to live, while others neglect to fight and lose it. But the fight to survive in the Christian life, uh, in the Christian world, in the spiritual world, begins when one becomes born again. The Christian life is an abundant life because it is full of excitement and enjoyment. My friends, that's the, the life that Jesus brings to all of us. He tells us in John 10.10, 10, a text that I usually quote when I am preaching. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus comes so that we may have a life of fullness in him. He doesn't bring a partial life to us, but he brings a full life to us. The question is, 
this morning question, is your joy full or is your joy complete? Do you experience a full joy in the Lord? Do, are you experiencing a complete joy in the Lord? Are you excited about being a Christian? It's the question that we need to seek to answer as Christians because some are not excited about this journey. Some see it as boring. Some see it as, as you know, very difficult because uh, we don't experience the joy of the Lord. We are not experiencing his joy. Jesus' uh, Jesus's desire is to bring us into this life of fullness in him. He wants us to be complete in him. Look in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. It reads, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Part of these words were in the last song we did this morning where the writer Paul is letting us know that even though the Christian is going through all of these trials in this life, but these things have not been able to stop his joy or stop him or her from pursuing the things of the Lord, from thriving in the spirit and growing in grace. It has not stopped us from doing this. This is what happens when one is complete in Christ. Nothing is able to break you. Nothing is able to stop you. The work of God, the love of God, the joy of God takes over our lives and we are able to uh, thrive through circumstances. And the world will see us smiling in the midst of difficulties and not understand why we would do something like that. But it is because God's joy has taken full control of us. But it is unfortunate to say that many Christians do not have this life of abundance in Christ. Many Christians do not. And here are the two reasons why. Reason number one, they may not be born again. That's one reason why people may not experience the joy of the Lord. They have a reason for being in the church that is outside of God's plan of salvation. There are folks in church, you have to understand this and believe that this is true, that there are a lot of people sitting in the church on Sundays after Sundays after Sundays that have not received eternal life in God. And that's one reason why the joy is missing out of their lives, because they have not experienced this. They come in there, and Jesus Christ said it, he says, in the last days, many would say, I did this in your name, and I did that in your name. And he would say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I do not know you. Because they did not, not because they did not work, or they didn't earn their salvation by doing it on their own, but the fact that they did not look to the cross and receive eternal life. They did not get born again. The Spirit of God did not come inside of them to bring about that new life. And so they can't live it. They can't do it. And so all the life was just in church for being in church and really never, uh, uh, you know, pursued spiritual things and followed the ways of God and lived for God. So that's one reason. Uh, so, so the Bible tells us in our second reading this morning, Romans 8 verse 9, the B part of that verse says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, 
they do not belong to Christ. Yes, it's right there in the text. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So the spirit of God is the one that brings the new life in us as God brings that to us. And so the next reason, here's the second reason people are not enjoying the abandoned life in Christ, abundant life rather. They may not be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is Savior and he is Lord of our lives. He is not only Savior of our lives, but he's Lord of our lives. He's Savior and he's Lord. Many folks come to him and receive him as Savior, but then do not submit to him as Lord. And in the fact that we are living in disobedience, we're living outside of the scripture, we're living in our own ways and own desires, we want what we want, we don't want what he has, but we want what we want. What that does is it makes us not to enjoy the joy of God and the love of God. In order to enjoy the joy that God brings and the love he brings, we have to be submitted to the lordship of Christ or submitted to the authority of scripture. What God says is, is what we say. And if we model our lives in that manner, taking God's word, the book of life, as the source of strength and source of life and source of direction for our lives, listen, it's gonna change everything. If we move our own ideology out of the way, we move our own feelings out of the way, and we adapt to Galatians 2.20, Wherein Paul says, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. If we allow that text to take our lives over, it will change everything about us. And we will look at the walk of the Lord and the work of the Lord in a totally different way. All right? It's not going to be about us anymore. It's going to be about what he wants for us. And so the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 7, uh, this is also our second reading this morning. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Listen to that. There is an impossibility that the Bible is talking about here for one who has not submitted to the law, the spirit of God. And someone who is governed by their flesh cannot submit to the lordship of Christ because he or she is not walking in the spirit. The Bible says he cannot do that. It talks about an impossibility. When a person is walking in the flesh, you cannot submit to the things of God. You cannot do the things of God. You cannot enjoy the things of the spirit. And unfortunately, this is the problem with many Christians, so-called Christians today. I wouldn't say Christian, but so-called, because why uh, the, the life of the Spirit is not in, in them. And so they're not experiencing this wholeness and the joy that Jesus brings. So then it brings us to the question, what is abundant life? What is it? It is the fullness of joy, listen, and strength for the spirit, soul, and body that is set in motion now and transfer over into eternity. So what that means is when a person gets born again, there is a fullness of joy that is applied to our salvation. And what the evil one seems to do is to stop you from enjoying that joy. He pushes you away from anything that looks godly so that we will enjoy the fullness of joy that comes with our salvation. There is a fullness of joy. He'll stop you from enjoying it. 
from enjoying God, from enjoying him fully, he's going to stop you from doing that with whatever way he can do it. He's going to do that. Whatever means he can use, he will use to stop you from enjoying that. And that joy and strength that is given to us is applied to our spirit. That's when you become born again. Then it is applied to your soul. And then that's when the soul submits to the lordship of your spirit. And then it applies to the body. Because you see, what happens on the inside of us is what is expressed on the outside of us. What we are thinking of on, in our minds is what we do on the outside. So or from the, Jesus said from the abundant, abundant of the heart, the mind, the heart speak, the mouth speak rather. So what is in our hearts is what we speak out of our mouth. The actions that we carry out, our body carries out, is happening uh, based on what is happening on the inside of us. So when we submit to God, people see the lifestyle that we live. It's going to be different from the way people live in the world today. You know what this is? It is giving one's whole life over to Jesus. That's what it is. In order to be able to do this is to give one's whole life over to Jesus. And we sing the old hymn song, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. Sometimes we sing those songs just out of our minds. They don't come from the heart. When you sing, I Surrender All, you are making a declaration through the song that we sing and letting the world know and letting everybody know, letting the devil know that we have given our lives to God, and not just a portion of our lives, but all of our lives have been given to the Lord. Why should we give our lives over to Jesus? Why? Why is that important? Because he is the source of abundant life. He is, let me just take that back and say it this way. He is the only source of, of abundant life, Jesus Christ, that you cannot get this any place else. No psychologist will give you abundant life. No psychiatrist will give you abundant life. You cannot get it on the street corner of Baltimore. You cannot get it from the way you structure your life. It only comes through one source, one person, one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give it. No one else. No one else. So we come to him. Uh, here today in our readings, we find uh, the giver of life, giving life, to a dead circumstance or dead circumstances. In the Old Testament text in Ezekiel 37, it's a story of the valley that was filled with dried bones. And the Bible tells us that Ezekiel tells us that he go, God sent him to this valley in a vision that is full of dried bones. And he went and examined the whole valley. It was nothing but dry bones, dried up bones. Uh, means, means those, those, those uh, uh, people had died a long time ago and the bones were dried. And God began to speak through the prophet to bring life into those bones. Right? And, and, and we see that happen. And then in the New Testament text, in Romans 8 verse 2, it reads, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life, listen to that word, gives life, the law of the Spirit gives life, you got to understand this, that God comes, he says, to give us life and to give us it more abundantly. And we, the, the scripture Paul is telling us here in Romans 8 too, that the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
So what that means is when a Christian receives the Spirit of God in his or her life, he has the life of God inside of him or her. And that life that God has brought is what liberates us from sin and death. What happens is, it doesn't mean that the Christian would never sin again in his or her life. But there is a separation that takes place when one is experiencing the new life in Christ. You don't participate and desire and love sin like the people out in the world. You don't walk up and down and feel proud about your sinful habits. You don't do none of that. Instead, you grieve and mourn if you find yourself trapped in sin. Because a new spirit is inside of you. You have a new life in you, and you want to live out this life. And so that's why Paul writes in Romans 7, that the things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. But the things I don't want to do are the things I'm doing. Who would separate me from this power of sin and death? Sin is powerful. But the law of the spirit comes in here so that we can be able to overcome sin. And that's why Paul shout out. He says, thank God for Jesus Christ. Because if you've got Jesus in you, you can overcome because of the Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus is greater than any problem, any such situation, any hindrance, any circumstance that we may face in this life. In our gospel, John Levin, there he is at the home of his friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, who had just died four days past. This miracle is an illustration of our greater spiritual life. All right, let's zero in on the gospel story this morning and see the life giver demonstrates to us who he actually is. Notice also that this was one of the last miracles that Jesus performed before going to the cross. This was one of the last miracles he performed. Why did he do this in his last period or moments of ministry? That's to let us know that he is the giver of life, and that, that, that we can trust him for life. And this is the reason why he did it at this time. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are seven unique miracles that were done by Jesus. And why were they done? The Bible tells us in the last chapter of John, John 20, verse 30 and 31. Here uh, is the reason why Jesus did these miracles. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, Bible says, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have what? Life in him. There it is again, life. Why is Jesus coming and performing these miracles? It's so that we can believe in him. Why is he working now in our circumstances, working now on this earth? Right now, you may not believe it, but there are a lot of folks this morning giving testimonies about what God just did in their lives. We may not understand it. And there's, an old, there's a song we sing right now, a contemporary song that says, even though we don't see him, he's working it. Even though we don't see it, he is working it. God is working right now. He's just delivered somebody from a circumstance. He just did it for another person over there and over there and over there. And they all are giving praises to him. You may not experience it, but he's working it. God is working it 
right now and every time you hear a testimony about how God brought somebody from the rough side of the mountain that should give us a reason to praise him more should give us a reason to love him more it should give us a reason to trust him more you see when I get on my knees in prayer I'm not praying because of what I know God is going to do for me but I'm in prayer because I know who God is and what he's able to do for me that's the reason why I pray that's the reason why we need to pray when we get our knees to God in prayer. So, Jesus demonstrates here that he is the giver of life. Here in this story is a dead man. Dead man, Lazarus is dead. And this is only as bad as it can get. He is dead. Death is man's worst enemy. Death is man's worst enemy. Man's most hopeless confrontation is death. You cannot get past that. That's it. And that's the one thing that many people, all of us, we try to run away from, try to protect ourselves from. We pop those pills to keep our bodies going alive. We don't want to die now. We think we got a whole lot of things to do here. We got a lot to accomplish. And so we're doing everything to keep alive. We visit the doctor and let him do his uh, medical checkup on us periodically. For those of us who do that, we exercise, we try to eat right. For some of us, try to eat right. And all of these things, trying to keep the body alive for a longer time, and those things. So, 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 so we, we are trying to uh, get away from dying. That's the reason we stand by the bedside amidst all of what we do. It comes to this point where we still have to die. And we stand by the bedside of our loved ones, and the doctors tell you to prepare for the worst. That's how he places it, prepare for the worst. It means that they have tried everything humanly possible to keep this person alive, but the result is still hopeless. And they tell you to prepare for the worst. It means that there is no hope for life on this side of heaven. There is no hope. I don't care how long we may live, God has promised us to give us long life on the earth. Promise to some. And, and, and in the face of all of that, I don't care how long that may seem. The point is, it's going to come to an end. It's going to end. All of us are going to leave this earth. We're going to go through it and get out of it. You have to understand that. And so that's the process of life. But the question we need to ask ourselves, what happens after this? After all this toil and trials and all of these uh, achievements and aspirations and all of these things, after all of this is over, you go at the graveside and you moon the, the home going, uh, grieve the home going of your loved one, and the casket is sitting over the grave, and you walk away and kiss the casket goodbye. Is that it? Is that it? Is that where life ends? My friends, you see the God that we serve. The God that we serve is greater and better and bigger than that. He didn't create us to live for a short moment as this. This is a temporal life. This is not, cannot be compared to what God has in store for us in heaven, my friends. We have eternity waiting for us in heaven. And that's where the hope of the church ought to be. Not in this moment, not in this time. And so, so death tried to frustrate us and make us feel like it has ended after the, we, we, we slip out of this body. But I come to let you know that that's the end. And Jesus Christ brings back life to us. So you see, that's what happened to poor Lazarus. He died, they dressed him up, they prepared him nicely for burial. That's what we do. We dressed up our loved one for burial. And we put them in a casket and we go and, and view them after we do that. 
But let me tell you that there are some people who are dressed up nicely, but are just as dead as Lazarus right on the earth this morning. They are still living, breathing, but they're dressed up nice, got the best kind of uh, 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 cologne on their bodies, nicely dressed up, but they're dead. They're dead because they don't have this life in Jesus Christ. They are helplessly hopeless. They don't have this life in Jesus. Sorry, I got to cut it. Somebody's at the door. They don't have this life in Jesus as Lazarus uh, was in this story. So here is the life giver. He shows up after four days. By this time, Lazarus' body had gotten in a state of decay after four days. They had gone and they told Jesus that Lazarus was sick before he died. And Jesus did not show up immediately to come and heal this man. He allowed him to go through the sickness. He allowed the sickness to kill the man. And Jesus was trying to prove a point. So he allowed him to die. And not only die, but he allowed him to bury him in the grave. And not only bury him in the grave, he allowed him to stay in the grave and decayed in the grave. Jesus was making a point. And the point that he was making is that no matter how messed up things get, he is the resurrection. He is the life. He can give life to dead circumstances. That was the message that Jesus was trying to send. Jesus was sending a message to all of us that we are going to get to the grave and we will stay in the grave and we will decay in the grave. But when he comes back, he will call you out of that grave and you will come back to life again because he is the resurrection and he is the life. Give Jesus a hand of praise this morning. Isn't he worthy? Yes, he is. But the life giver showed up. And let's see three things about Lazarus' resurrection that mirrors us this morning. And it brings life to us. The first thing is the incomparable proclamation of his worth. The first thing, the incomparable proclamation of his worth. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The first thing Jesus addresses in this is he talks about his name. His name. Jesus proclaimed that he is the what? I am. Do you see that? I am. That I am, this goes back to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses met Jesus, and some people don't understand it, but it was the Lord that Moses met at that mount. And then he said to him, if they ask me who sent me, what must I say? Tell them, I am sent you. That's all you got to say. I am. The English term I am derives from the Hebrew name for Jesus, which is Yahweh. Yahweh, which is God's personal name, Yahweh, okay? The Jews were so concerned about the sanctity of this name to the point that they would not, they refused to call him by that name, to pronounce it. They would not pronounce it. So they changed it to Adonai. Adonai means Lord. They would not call him by the name Yahweh, they call him a Lord, they can't call that. So in definition, the name I am is a declaration of self-existence. All right? It's a declaration of self-existence. God is simply telling Moses and telling these people, 
He saying to them, I exist by myself. Okay, there is no one behind me. There, were, there is no one, there is no before, as far as I'm concerned, pertaining to me. There's no after. I exist all by myself. I exist in the present, I exist in the past, I exist in the future, I exist everywhere. That's what God was saying. Now, you cannot give me a name because whatever situation is happening to you at a given time, I exist in it. So you can't give me a name. There's no name that's going to fit me because there are too many situations that are going on around the world that I am present in at the same time. So whatever your problem is, I'm in it. I am. I'm present. I'm always present. All right? There is no past about me. I exist. God lets them know about his name. And then so he says, I am. And, and the next thing he talks about is his nature. His nature. The resurrection, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In his nature is the power to give and sustain life. He doesn't only give it, but he sustains it as well. All right, the resurrection, what is he talking about? Remember in the Garden of Eden when God said, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. Man ate the fruit, man's spirit died. Jesus comes back and he brings life back into that spirit that died. That's why he told Nicodemus, you must be born what? Again. Means you were living before, but you died. And you got to be born again. I got to bring back that spirit back to life. And that's what the spirit of God is doing in the world today. He is the regenerator of life. He's regenerating life into us. And we are awakening the spirit, human spirit of man, so that we can be able to communicate with our God. That's the first resurrection that we experience is that spiritual life in us. The second resurrection that we will experience is in the day when Jesus comes back. We experience that when he brings us back from the grave. So those are the two resurrections that man is to experience. Then he talks about the life. What life? He's talking about eternal life. At the moment of new birth, eternal life begins. Uh, some people think that when we die or when we get to heaven, then we're going to start living eternally. You start now. We are in the moment of eternity now, from the day that Jesus saved you and brought you into his life, even though we live in a temporal world, but inside of us is a hidden eternity. When God brought back to life your spirit, and the spirit of God came and connected with your human spirit inside, eternity began from that moment on. So you are living in the realm of eternity even while you're on earth. And that's what Jesus says. You are in the world, but you are not of the world because I'm in you. Greater is he that is where? In you. Eternity has been birthed in every single person sitting in this room. Give God a hand of praise this morning. We have eternity inside of us. So we talk about an incomparable proclamation of his worth. Now let's talk about the incredible power of his word. In John eleven forty three, Jesus cried in loud voice, Lazarus, come out. All right? I can only imagine what was going on at this moment. Uh, every eye was set on that tomb when Jesus spoke those words to see what would happen. Every eye was on that tomb. And they were not only looking at the tomb, but looking at the tomb in bewilderment, looking at the tomb with impossibilities in their minds. As they look. Why? Because from a natural perspective, perspective, from a scientific perspective, there was 
no way by which this dead man that had been in the grave for four days, whose body had decayed, was going to come out of that tomb. There is no way. How did Jesus do this? With his word. The power of the word. Jesus showed up and he gave abundant life. What? Using his word. Paul in Philippians 2.16 calls it the word of life. See, the Bible is the word of life. It is the book of life. Every other book on the shelf you read gives you information. This book gives you life. This is the book of life. That's why the devil doesn't want you to read it. Because when you read it, your life gets better and better and better. He's tried to stop us from reading it because he doesn't want us to be what God wants us to be. But if we are going to become what God wants us to be, it's only going to begin by reading God's word, plucking yourself in the Bible studies and getting to know what God says, not only being informed by the word of God, but allowing yourself to also be what? Transformed by the word of God. That's how it's going to come about. And so, so in John 6, 68, Peter calls is the word of eternal life. To whom shall we go, Lord? We found out that you have the word of eternal life. To who shall we go, he says. In the Old Testament text, God tells the prophet Ezekiel to speak his word over the dry bones. Word, word, word. You want life? Word, the word of God. That's the only thing that gives life to us. You want to change your life? The word of God will give you the power to change your, your life. Nothing is able to do it. It's word, word, word. There's only one way to receive abundant life, and it is what? By the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says it. Subsequently, faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. Not just reading any book, but reading God's word and listening to God's word is how we have the new life in us. Here we see the demonstration of what is to come in First. Thessalonians 4.16. Listen to this. It's the word of God again. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With a loud command. That Jesus is giving a loud command to the dead to be risen out of the grave. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And what? The dead in Christ will rise first. Are you worried about seeing Jesus when he shows up? Are you worried about being dead when he comes and you might miss that? No. Bible's telling you that those of us who are dead will come up first to meet him in the cloud. And then those who are still alive will meet him as well. So you are first on the line if you're dead. Okay? And so this is something to look at. So we talk about an incomparable proclamation of his worth. The incredible power of his word. Lastly, let's talk about the extensive part of his work. In John eleven forty four, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped. This is John. I mean, Lazarus coming out of the grave with straps of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave. Uh, he said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, look at this. Lazarus is now alive. And everybody is giving praises, praises to God for this miracle. But there is a problem. And the problem is, Lazarus is still bound in grave clothes. All right? He is alive. But he's still not free to live out the new life that was just placed in him. Do you see this? This is exactly what happened to many Christians. 
We receive new life in Christ, but we are trapped by the things of this world. We are choked by the things of this world. We are so glued to the activities of the world. We're not giving ourselves a chance to grow in the Lord. And our growth process becomes stopped or choked. And we cannot grow and excel in the things of God. This is what happens. And unless we come to Jesus and allow him to unwrap those, uh, those, band, those uh, uh, bandages that they put around us to stop us from flowing or moving, unless we come to him to remove it, we're going to remain trapped. We will not enjoy the fullness of the life that is in the spirit that God has given for us to enjoy. So we come to God and we bring ourselves and we ask him to take off the grave cloths from around us, even though he has set us free and given us this new life. But let's live out the new life. And in order to live that new life, you got to come to him and ask him to set you free. Uh, whom the son has set free, the Bible says, is free indeed. No more chain of slavery. And God wants to set us free from those things. Set us free from our own ideologies. Set us free from our own habits. Set us free from our own feelings. I don't like this. I like that. I don't. What is God saying? Why can't you listen to God's word and follow what he is saying? No, but we are all stuck in our ways. Because why? We still have the grave clothes wrapped around us. God wants to take away those grave cloths and give us the chance and the ability to excel in him and experience the beauty of his joy that is out there. I pray that these words from God this morning would encourage your hearts. Keep you steadfast in your faith, but knowing always that if you allow him to set you free, he will never bring you so far and leave you. God will not build his home in you and move away. He will not teach you to swim and let you dry in that water. And he will never lift you up and let you down. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.